Namaste. I have a very special Facebook Live today with a very, very special guest, and that is Dr. Nagaswamy. And uh, thank you for taking the time, Dr. Nagaswamy. I am, I am very happy to meet you and uh, happy to participate in this uh, yes, discussion. Thank you. So I will give a little introduction on why he's so important and he's so special and we should respect him. Uh, Dr. Nagaswamy, who is now 87, uh, has had an amazing career as a scholar of Tamil and Sanskrit and their intimate relationship, as well as being an archaeologist and an expert in our texts. So this is a very multifaceted uh, expert in many fields. Uh, because he knows archaeology, especially Tamil Nadu, he's able to relate the physical discoveries uh, in Tamil Nadu with the texts, uh, Tamil texts and Sanskrit texts, and able to prove without any doubt the unity of Tamil Nadu with the rest of Bharat and the unity of the whole Tamil culture with Sanskrit. This is, this is a very important thing. Uh, it's important for scholarship. It is important for nation building. It is important for the sense of identity and unity of India and all the Indians. So this is, this is a very special uh, kind of uh, opportunity I have to discuss with a master of this caliber. And mm -hmm. it is my, my responsibility to make sure that your work and your is, is given as much uh, limelight and awareness because our young people need to know. And unfortunately, not enough uh, has been spread about, uh, awareness has been spread about your work. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I hope it reaches the whole world and uh, they understand the, the regional contribution to the unity of the country and unity of the world. We don't restrict ourselves to only a small region, yes. but it is a universal uh, yes. participation. Yes. But it starts from the nation. Yes. So I wanted to, uh, I, there are so many amazing books. Uh, I will uh, uh, focus on a couple of them. This one by Dr. Nagaswamy is called Mirror of Tamil and Sanskrit. Mirror of Tamil and Sanskrit. It just came out a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, it is, it, is it is a reflection of the life and uh, 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 I mean, uh, creative uh, image, creative literature, creative music, and creative dance. All these things are discussed in this, including the script, which came from uh, the northern part of India, from the time of uh, Ashoka, what we call Brahmi script. And what we have in southern part of India, in Tamil Nadu also, it is the same Brahmi script which was used in north. And it is the same Brahmi script that has been used in uh, Southeast Asia, in Sri Lanka, everywhere. And gradually through the centuries, it evolved into modern script. The modern script uh, is a gradual evolution. You can't put a line, a cross line, and say that this started here and then it uh, separated and so on. So the mere fact that the basic scripts are common and yeah. then they evolve separately out of, the, That's out of, right, out of yes. a common base itself shows the unity of the thinking in the country. That's right. Even the earliest available inscriptions inscribed on the rock surfaces in, and Tamil, Nadu. in Tamil Nadu, they show the total integrity of this uh, culture. How old are these? Uh, they are all 1st, 2nd century BC onwards. Uh, we have continuous inscriptions. Uh, inscribed on the walls, on the bed, on the rock, boulders, and caves, and so on. And we get names, not only Tamil names, but also the uh, names of people who came from northern part of India as uh, chieftains, kings, merchants, gold merchants, uh, 
uh, and uh, salt merchants and so on. And the most important thing that we have to see is one of the earliest inscription that is dated to about 1st, 2nd century BC refers to Mathura. Mm, Mathura, very good. Mathura, mm. that is the capital of the Pandyas in southern part of India. But it is the same Mathura that is there in northern part of India, the place of Krishna. Right, very good. And that is there for the past 2000 years as part and parcel of this culture. Yes. Of and Tamil similarly culture. in the north, reference to Ram, Setu and Lanka and also reference to uh, Adi Shankara uh, from the south. Yes. So there is a lot of flow in both directions, all the directions. Yeah, it is never an uh, one-way traffic. Yes, yes. No, this is uh, very good. Yes. Now this is, and this leads me to other book, uh, more recent book. Uh, I mentioned it once before in a Facebook live. Tamil Nadu, the land of Vedas. Now you see a lot of misinformation is being spread that you know Vedas is some Aryan thing, and this Dravidian were you know uh, oppressed and whatnot. And what uh, Dr. Nagaswamy is showing, proving very clearly is that Tamil Nadu is the land of the Vedas. So I'm interested in uh, people understanding a little more about this. Yes, we have say, uh, what we call the Sangam age. The Sangam age begins uh, maybe around the 1st, 2nd century BC to 1st, 2nd century AD. And we have a large number of Tamil poems written during that period. They are all Tamil poems, but they are structured as uh, defined and classified in Bharata's Natya Shastra. Aha, okay. You see, these are, we have more than 2,400 poems of uh, this uh, early period, which are divided into two main parts. One refers mainly to what is called Sringara, mm -hmm. and that we call in southern part as Aham. Mm -hmm. Aham poetry, Aham is a Sanskrit word. Yes. So, Aham poetry, which is mainly intended for singing and dancing by the roving bards. And then we have uh, Puram. Puram is also a Sanskrit word. I just saw that it is there mentioned in the Rig Veda. Puram is external activity of man. So, uh, var, dharma, gift, and so on, these are all discussed. So, they say that it is dharma, artha, kama, and moksha. This is said in Aram, Purul, Inbam, Vidu in Tamil. Exact translation. So the, the words are different, but the structure of thinking is it the same. It is the same. That's very important. Yes. It is a, a language, a regional flowering is there. Yes. Maybe you have, yes, our poet says, Subramanya Bharati, Seppum Mui Padinittudayalainil, Chindanai Vundudayal. Though we have 18 major languages, then thinking of this whole country is one. Same architecture? Yeah. Many ways of uh, manifesting. It is something like different flowers in different regions and different yeah. Exactly. Every region has got its own flowering. So this book is uh, structured in such a way that right from the beginning of 1st, 2nd century AD, through the centuries, how Vedic tradition has been prevalent. So this is a history, history. of uh, Tamil intellectual thought, culture, archaeology, and how it has got the Vedic uh, philosophy, Vedic way of life throughout Complete. without breaking. That's right. That's right. But here I want to ask, there is this Christian claim of St. Thomas came and brought all these things. And St. Thomas' uh, influence on the uh, Sangam literature and whatnot. So they're changing the dates to uh, fit their claim that St. Thomas is the person who came and brought all, all sorts of things. 
Is there any archaeological No, no, there is absolutely no evidence for St. Thomas coming here at all. We know that we have studied this. Uh, we studied the Eastern Christianity, spread of Christianity in the East. But uh, we know that uh, Thomas came uh, only in, uh, up to Syria, in the eastern part. He never came here. But that is a story. So and you see, it's interesting that the church uh, in the 1800s did not uh, agree with this kind of story, this myth about Thomas in India. But in the 20th century, in the last 100 years, they decided that this is useful because it can confuse people and also convert people. So uh, wh wh what do you think is responsible for the decline of Sanskrit in Tamil Nadu, in the whole Vedic thought? Sanskrit never declined in Tamil Nadu. Okay. Up to 19th century, up to uh, 19, 19, up to 1900, up to 19, I will say. Yes. And even up to 1950, yes. it was respected. It yes. was studied. And uh, everything, uh, you see, we have 85,000 temples. In Tamil continuous, Nadu. In Tamil Nadu alone. And due to historical reasons. Yeah. Is it okay? Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah. Yeah. Due to historical reason yeah. that uh, Tamil Nadu was free from alien invasion from north and destruction of the cultural uh, heritage, temples and sculptures and worship and so on. So, the Mughal, so we the, have the more period, temples. So what you're saying is the Mughal period did not disrupt Buddhist, Buddhist, Buddhism is always a part of Indian Hindu religion. No, Mughal, I meant Mughal, the Islamic. No, 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 it they was not, not, they not, not. They did not disturb. They were, there was not much disturbance, you know. So we have, uh, out of these uh, 85, at least uh, 50,000 temples, they are based on what we call the Vastu Sastra. Yes, of course. Which is all, all these Vastu Sastras is, are in Sanskrit, but they have also been translated into Tamil and called Manai Satyaram. So there is that physical evidence that 85,000, so many tens of thousands of temples, or oh, very old in this state, are all based on the Agamas. Agamas, Vastu Shastra, and also Veda. Veda. Every, every so, temple. So this business that, uh, you know, that whole the separation of Tamil, uh, Sanskrit, and Aryan no, Dravidian no. is all artificial. Tamil, from very early period, it's a classical language. Very beautifully structured. And uh, we have several, um, um, evidences, literary evidence, uh, inscriptional evidence, musical evidence, dance evidence to show that it was brought by sage Agastya, who is a, what you call a Vedic sage. And every, particularly the classical tradition of the Tamils is ascribed to uh, Agastya. So it's a Vedic origin of Tamil language. That's right. That is a, that's a, a Vedic very important uh, research finding proven and established in his books, which I think has a huge importance. That we yeah, in, in, in inscriptional, yeah. 7th century records of the Pandya says yes. that Agastya taught both Tamil and Sanskrit to the Pandya kings. Okay. You see? Huh. And then they made their research, it says. The 7th century copper plate inscription of the Pandya, it says. And every Pandya record, royal record, repeats it that Agastya. Uh, even crowned the Pandya kings according to Atharvaveda. These are all recorded in uh, inscriptions. Sure, sure, inscription. sure. So now, next thing I want to uh, discuss is that uh, Infinity Foundation India is having a series of uh, Swadeshi Indology conferences. 
and uh, I'm glad to say that Dr. Nagaswamy has kindly agreed to play a leading role as a mentor, inspirer, and scholar in presenting many of the papers. So we're very grateful to you for that, for taking time, because I know you have lots of work to do. Oh, uh, so the, the uh, work you are doing for the Swadeshi Indology Conference number two in February, Delhi, uh, you have picked four topics of Sheldon Pollock that you want to write about, give a response to Sheldon Pollock. So let me go through each of them and maybe yes, give a couple yes, of minutes. Yes, yes, yes. So one of them is on Rasa. So yes. your views on how your critique of uh, Pollock's Rasa. You see, Rasa is uh, mentioned in the Veda. Raso Vaisaha, you see, the Supreme is identified with Rasa. That is, that is your experience, thrilling experience of um, uh, life, emotions, feelings, all rolled into one, uh, experienced by the individual. And this rasa is uh, classified and defined and well projected in the Natyasatra. And the Natyasatra is very specific. Um, Sringara, Asya, Karuna, Raudra, Veera, Bhayanakaha, Bibatsa, Adbhuta. These are the eight rasas which are classified. There is one also which is called Santarasa. That generally the eight rasas could be depicted on the stage, on the theater, by the artists, dancers. And so these are called Natya Rasas. Ashtav Natya Rasa, Natya Rasa. These are all the dance. Uh, experiences. But it is very clearly stated throughout ancient Indian Sanskrit literature and also Tamil literature. We have got a, we have got a grammar called Tolkapiyam, which is dated to 1st, 2nd century AD. That speaks of these rasas, eight rasas. The same rasas that are described in uh, Natya Sastra, they are described in Tamil name. And this description is given, this nomenclature is given by Agastya. We have a commentary on that. So, rasa, they very nicely define that various combination of uh, situations, music, dance, sound, etc., are first um, produced and uh, uh, experienced by the, uh, what you call the actor, but that he gives it out. And actual rasa is in, in, in the audience, the spectator. It is the spectator who feels. And so there is a, a beautiful commentary in Abhinav Gupta, the great commentator on Nati Sastra from Kashmir, who lived in the end of uh, 10th century right. and beginning of uh, 11th century. Yeshwam Kavyanu Silana Vasati. Visadi bhute mano mukure Varnaniya tanmayi bhavana yogita Eva sagridiya samvada bhaja sagridiya. They are the spectators who feel the aesthetic experience when their mind is flowered to receive these impressions communicated by the actors by their study of kavyas several types of kavyas, unless they are cultured and experienced in 
in the kavya, it's not possible to fully experience the emotion communicated. So we are sure that the rasa is that which is experienced by the audience. Right. That is rasa. And these are all the bhavas and situations. We call it sattvika bhava, vebhichari bhava. These are all used by the actors. So what does Pollock say about it? Huh? What does Sheldon Pollock say on this that you disagree with? Oh, Pollock is the, I, I think I have a feeling that he hasn't understood what is rasa. I will tell you how. Okay. I will give you an example. Now, Raudra is terrific, uh, terrific. Now, in the 18th century, there used to be a lot of uh, uh, street dramas. One of the very popular drama was Prahlada Vijayam, where Narasimha manifests and destroys uh, Hiranyakasubhu, the Rakshasa, demon. Now, according to the story, at the end, uh, Narasimha puts uh, the demon on his uh, lap and tears him. And he takes his uh, intestine and wears it as a garland. This is the story content of it. Now, the actor has only to communicate as if he is doing it. On the stage, what happened in one or two places, when the situation was so exciting, so terrific, the actor, he thought that he is experiencing, he is doing it. He actually tore the fellow on the stage and killed him on the stage itself. And then he drew the intestine and actually did it. So if the actor thinks that he is experiencing the rasa, this is what will happen. That you cannot have the, um, um, what you call rasa, in the, in, in, in the actor. Right. The actor has to communicate to the very just period, just situation, that the audience feels it. So what does Pollock say though? I'm Pollock says it. it is in the, in the, in the actor. So That's Pollock absolutely is, wrong. So basically the main point is yeah. that Pollock says that the rasa is in the actor. No. Pollock says that. Yeah, Pollock, Pollock says, says that. Pollock but says. the tradition says that the rasa is in the audience. Yes. That is the main point. He doesn't, he doesn't understand that point. Uh, it is very clear. Right. It is very clear in Natya Sastra. There is, uh, see, that is why they say Samta as a rasa in Natya is not applicable. Right. It's not because the actor, the dancer, he cannot move his limb or anything like that and his Samta has to stand like this. You can't communicate any emotion. The actor is there, but he cannot communicate. So Samta is not accepted as a rasa, uh, but in literature, when you are alone, you are reading it. You may feel something, so but the, that's not full. The point being that uh, the tradition says rasa is that which the, is received by the audience. Yeah, experienced and, and by, the, by audience. the audience. And Pollock says rasa is that which the uh, actor enacts, uh, actor feels. No. Which Act, cannot be the case. Yeah, yeah. Is, for another example, you can't have in the uh, stage Sringara. Mm. We have Sringara. Vipralamba Sringara and Samboga Sringara. You come unite and then you separation. Right. You can't act it in the stage. Right. Sringara cannot be, only can be suggested. That's why they call it suggestion. So do you feel that uh, he, Pollock is projecting some Western philosophy or Western theory 
way he interprets rasa? I don't know whether um, Palak actually understands it. This rasa is universal. Right. Whether it is a, a Western or uh, Eastern, Oriental or Occidental, because only suggestion can be made by the actor. Mm. The feeling and the experience, the joy, the aesthetic joy, that is called rasa. Yeah. Aesthetic joy cannot be in the actor. So it is universal in the sense that uh, the same principle will apply everywhere. Everywhere. But it may not be universal in the way Bible mm. interprets it. I or, don't know how it or, is Or the way now. Greek thought interprets it. So the question is, where is Pollock's idea coming from, which you feel is a distortion? I don't know. It comes from his ego. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Because uh, whether you see a Western drama or an Eastern drama, it is the same. They only communicate. The, the experience of joy, aesthetic joy, is in the spectator, always in the spectator. So. Uh, I think uh, that is more projecting one's own idea. So what about his his uh, treatment of Ramayana? What is your thought on his uh, treatment of oh, Ramayana? Oh, Ramayana. Absolutely, I think he hasn't read Ramayana. He doesn't know anything about Ramayana, in my opinion. Because, you see, it is Ramayana is not only in Sanskrit, but Adi Valmiki. But it has been translated into all the languages of India through the centuries. He doesn't know that there is a uh, Ramayana in Tamil Nadu. Beautiful Ramayana, written by Kamban. It's only an extension of Valmiki's Ramayana. And whole of Southeast Asia is not uh, restricted to, for 2,000 years. Great thinkers, great musicians, great dancers, great sculptors, great builders of temples, noble temples, etc., have felt every movement of Rama's uh, dharma. Yeah. But you know, uh, besides the issue of languages and spreading it, uh, his interpretation is Ramayana as some kind of oppressive. There's some uh, kind of, and his students like Arshya Sattar and various people have, have uh, further developed this idea of a feminist Ramayana that, uh, you know, women are oppressed and uh, he also, Pollock also says that it is a story to uh, uh, spread hatred against Muslims. Uh, and, and Dalits. So, what is your thought on that? No, no. Please read Ramayana. Once you read, you will understand how great it is. Yes. How it kindles your aesthetic sense. Not base or egoistic, but high. Whatever date you use. After nearly five to six hundred years, Islam comes. How can this be? There is no part of Ramayana anywhere where hatred is projected. But his view is that uh, Ramayana was there already, uh, but it was a story meant for projecting hatred against external people called Rakshasas. So while Muslims were not there in the beginning, when the Muslims came, it was easy to project that, okay, you are the Rakshasas. So that is how Ramayana gets popularized. Until then, Ramayana was not very popular. This is That theory. is wrong. We have uh, 2,000 years ago in Tamil Nadu, in Tamil literature, Tamil poems, Ramas, uh, this thing is uh, episodes or exploits are all mentioned. Entire, now I am saying that entire great work which is called Silapadikaram, a dramatic composition uh, ascribable to 1st, 2nd century AD, uh, extolling the greatness of Chara King Sengutuan. It is just based on it's a wonderful poem, excellent poem, Silapadikaram. But the structure is drawn from Ramayana. 
and nowhere nowhere it spreads hatred Good. nowhere so the, the another point another topic that you are going to discuss in the swadeshi conference is uh, pollock's uh, views on the divisive the clash between hindu buddhist the whole buddhist division oh, this so is another is this is another myth you know total myth buddha was always considered as part and parcel of the whole indian religion indian system uh, you see there is an inscription in uh, mahabalipuram which is near madras it's a 7th century inscription uh, pallava inscription there it gives matsya kurma varahasta narasimhascha vamanaha ramo ramascha ramascha buddha kalki dasasmrita it's a pallava inscription 7th century in the extreme south of india buddha is considered as an incarnation of vishnu you go to all great temples medieval temples in india from gujarat and saurashtra to what you call bengal across from kashmir to kanyakumari or and even you go on to southeast asia like thailand cambodia vietnam etc you see that in the vishnu image which is consecrated in the sanctum the 10 avatars are portrayed on the halo right and the ninth avatar is always a buddha 10th century 11th century 12th century if you want to go you go to the museum and see the image of vishnu and there you always see buddha buddha was worshiped by all the indians but so there is no question there are differences of minor differences well, of but there is differences even among within various vedanta uh, we have differences between saiva and vaishnava yeah, yeah. we have differences between saiva and the sakta correct, correct but we don't say that he is not there and so always all shri lakshmi is there saraswati is they go to sanchi which is which has got the greatest buddhist temple uh, chaityas super you see at the entrance shri lakshmi and vagdevi and you go to there are many there is a big mainamati in bangladesh it's a big stupa and that stupa has got you know enclosures going around there you have it's a buddhist stupa and we have excellent buddhist bronzes that have been excavated and displayed in the museum but you see ganesha is there kartikeya is there durga is there kalika kali is there shiva is there vishnu is there brahma is there they are all part of uh, what you call a uh, buddhism so buddhist never thought these are all uh, separate you go to theravada area in sri lanka you enter the ganga rama in uh, colombo very big stupa just at the entrance you have six feet tall mahavishnu narayana very good so both the hindus and the the buddhist they always felt together there may be writing here and there that always the association is still like that no, the, the, the no. in angkor wat absolutely is identical yeah yeah absolutely yeah. identical and in nepal huh? in nepal also in everywhere yeah. you see you go you go to cambodia there is a very big temple which is erected by one king a medieval king and he erected a, the temple with the linga in the center it was dedicated to his father as bodhisattva but bodhisattva in the front you have 
ब्रह्मा विष्णु शिवा एंड एट बैक इज बुद्धा शिवलिंग फोर फेसेस ब्रह्मा विष्णु शिवा एंड लिंग सो द होल ऑफ साउथ ईस्ट एशिया होल ऑफ इंडिया नॉर्थन पार्ट साउथन पार्ट बुद्धा वाज पार्ट ऑफ इंडियन इफ यू थिंक दैट हिंदुइज्म इज नॉट वेरी एक्सेप्टेबल टू यू कॉल इट इंडियन रिलीजन आई डोंट माइंड इट इज वन so uh, we've talked about three uh, topics that uh, dr nagaswami is going to address in the swadeshi indology as it is critique of pollock uh, we talked about the first one was pollock's rasa theory he'll give a response that pollock doesn't understand rasa theory then we talked about uh, ramayan uh, pollock's ramayan then we talked about buddhism his claims that buddhism hinduism were in conflict fourth one is chronology Uh, your yeah. your views on the chronology that how the chronology has been distorted and shifting the chronology particularly being an archaeologist so tell us about chronology now chronology is we have what we call several eras what eras what you what you call kali yuga saka era and these are all mentioned in inscriptions they help us to fix the date of any event uh, any person who is ruling and so on now there is a, a place in the chalukya region karnataka region aihule where there is an inscription of 6th 7th century there there is a reference to two important eras one is kali era that which according to that inscription it started at the death of krishna passing away of krishna 3101 bc that is calculated and then it also gives the comparative saka um, <coughs> era mm. so we know what is the saka era and what is its uh, equal in kali era and then we have for nearly 1500 years the kali era is mentioned and hundreds and hundreds of inscriptions and uh, what you call uh, the saka era is mentioned but they don't want to say that this 3101 is considered the end of mahabharata and uh, that uh, uh, era was started at that time they just suppress it we don't accept it uh, somebody after uh, so many years they have created new era this is uh, not scientific analysis what is there in science you have to say and accept it otherwise uh, we can always say question anything on earth tell me which one is early yeah yeah i can question it so one of the uh, one of the conferences after swadeshi indology 2 one of the subsequent conferences we are planning is with your help a conference on south and uh, tamil nadu where yes. we bring together all this knowledge about tamil nadu and how it's been an integral part of bharat for for since the beginning using all this archaeological data or using all the other uh, texts and shastras and uh, itihas and all the uh, kavyas in all the different languages to show this unity unity over time and unity over space so that's a future project we want to uh, definitely develop with you yes you see uh, one thing uh, we feel very strongly is that we are all historians yes and archaeologists we have only a universal approach we don't have a narrow approach in anything but whatever we say we want it must be based on evidence subjective reflection cannot be accepted is 
scientific history. And in most, most of the ideas expressed by my friend uh, uh, Pollack, they're all subjective. Nothing is objective. We want objective evidence to reconstruct. And it is not that we are trying to satisfy somebody in this century, or it is we are, not, we are going to satisfy somebody in the other century. That's not our uh, yeah. See, concern. He, he says he's objective because he can give you the reference of another Western no, I know. I have seen all the all the references. You can go through the end of bibliography, any any book, and you can put this whole thing as if you have read that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have not read it. Yeah. yeah. You have not read the content of it. Yeah. You have not. He, what he, is the he, he just cites a lot of names and. Yeah, and this very, is very easy. Very easy. Very easy to do. Uh, so, so now let's discuss uh, what is the way forward. Uh, uh, what is the way through uh, to bring Tamil Nadu back, revive the. Uh, Sanskriti in Tamil Nadu, what do we do? Dance? Do we do music? Do we do temples? How, how do we revive it? So no, tell us. But, but you see, uh, <coughs> Sanskrit, Sanskrit is a linear development from the Vedic tradition. And uh, at, at a particular point of time, it was made uh, more structured as a language. We have several Prakrit languages in different regions. Every region has got its own Prakrit expression, that is spoken language. Spoken language keeps on changing through time and through space. But the advantage of Sanskrit is it never changes because it has been structured properly with grammar. So we have astronomy, book on mathematics, we, we have a book on uh, medicine, we have books on architecture, we have books on music, dance, philosophy, code of life, etc., all written in Sanskrit because it is not changing through time or space. It's greatly advantageous for all over India to use it at any point of time. You don't have a distorted view from the Prakrit words, it is possible. But in Sanskrit, you can't have. So medicine we have to use, uh, music we have to use. We have Ayurveda, excellent Ayurvedic texts are there. Amazing scientific uh, experiments are being mentioned in those texts. And music, if you cannot have music, classical music without Sanskrit. In Tamil Nadu. Yes. We have uh, so, so Tamil people who appreciate music are in fact to be told that this is all Sanskrit based. Yes, it is. We have the Sangeet Ratnagara, we have the Natya Sastra, everything is uh, from, we have translated it also into the local language. It is the same old Also Sanskrit dance, text. you could say about dance also. Yes, Sanskrit. And the dance that people appreciate is also. Bharatanatyam, you see, we are fond of Bharatanatyam. They have maintained what is mentioned in uh, what you call uh, Natya Sastra. I tell you, we, uh, we have a great temple at Tanjur, which was built a thousand years ago by Rajaraj Chola, one of the greatest rulers of India. Now he has put 108 dance poses as prescribed in Bharata's Natya Sastra, in sculptural portrayal. That's thousand years. 100 and 150 years later in another temple, we have the same poses described and the label gives the name in Sanskrit. Same Natya Sastra. 
Then another 150 years later, in Chidambaram, we have the verses as described in Natya Shastra. They are inscribed and the corresponding post is portrayed in sculpture. So it is in South India we have the earliest Natya Shastra written down. And, and preserved for us. Preserved. preserved. And why? How? Because in the temple, dance was a part and parcel of worship. Yes. And the temple worship is controlled by the Sanskritic tradition of Agamas and Vastu texts. And so they have to sing, they have to, what you call, do dance as prescribed in Bharatoktam Yathanrittam Sandhim Prati This is from South Indian temple uh, text, you know. So a ritual text. It says, what has been said by Bharata, you do it here. So Bharata is not a sastra, has come here. It also says you use the other, other dances from other parts of India. Veena, other, uh, it's uh, described from Veda onwards, Veena has been different. So music, dance, you go to any part of Tamil Nadu, nobody objects uh, singing in Sanskrit. So that's a, Somehow, that's a doorway to bring it back. Huh? Because, yeah. because people don't object to that. Nobody objects. Nobody objects. So in music, in dance, now, now we have a problem. The uh, temples are being a little bit uh, renovated, restored, not properly. And so they want to go to Agama text. And the court is seized of matter, how to, how to control, say, the UNESCO is seized of this matter. They all want to know what is there in the Agama. I tell you a very important point that in the London High Court where I appeared as an expert witness, the image of Nataraja was lying buried. And it was, a, somebody took it up and smuggled it out and the case was filed in London case. The court wanted to know why was it buried? Well, there was invasion of alien faith in the 13th, 14th century, and so everybody felt that there will be desecration of this, and they, they buried it. Now, how did they bury? I said, how to bury in the event of invasion, fire, epidemics, or migration, etc. It is prescribed in the Agama how you should bury it. Then, the judge asked me, where is the uh, text? I showed him such and such. Text. He said, give me the Zerah copy. I gave the Zerah copy. He said, I want the front part, title page. When was it uh, published? Before this was stolen or after this was stolen? I said, it is several years before it was stolen. It is universal in every text. So there you are, he said. He exclaimed, there you are. See, you have an authority in Agama. And that Agama has to be used for nearly 40 to 50,000 temples in Tamil Nadu today. So without Agama, you can't do the worship, proper worship. So you cannot get away from this culture that has developed with Sanskrit and Tamil together. We have 20,000 verses in Tamil. But they are all integrated with Sanskrit and Sanskrit ideas. So how do you feel about today the temples with the amazing history and wealth of knowledge are not given importance and churches coming up all the time. Churches coming up all the time and temples sort of abused. Uh, and festivals, a lot of uh, propaganda, a lot of media on against Hindu temple, Hindu festivals. 
that there is something wrong. So Hindu festivals sort of under pressure to bring them down and Christian festivals on the way up. What do you feel of that? What should we do? No, no, it's a <coughs> daily rituals. How you start the ritual in the morning, how you do it in the afternoon, how you do it in the evening. And when this worship is going on, what raga should be played? What instrumental music should be given? All these things are all prescribed in the Agama. Festivals are daily festivals, periodical festivals, seasonal festivals, annual festivals are there. They are all prescribed for how many days you have to do, first day what you do, second day you do. Is it just a simple ritual or is there any philosophy behind it? The Agama says what is the philosophy behind it. So all these things if you want to know how it was for the past 1,000 years or 1,500 years. We have this argument telling us how to do it. But and see, today's politics is not in favor of that. I so don't think they are against it. They don't okay. understand it. So you and they cannot also, our constitution uh, also uh, protects our rights to do that. But you know, the, uh, the Dravidian parties, both the DMK and the AIDMK, yes. ruling this state for a long time, they are not, I don't know if it's ignorance or just a political agenda that they, they want to bring down the Hindu tradition. Uh, I don't uh, think uh, they are, it's purely uh, catching power, that's all. But the common people, they still go to the temple. They uh, use the same achanas, sahasranama and other things. They're all in Sanskrit. I don't think um, um, this, uh, what you call, uh, it's all right for some people, from local people who are not able to follow Sanskrit. Doesn't matter, you use it in Tamil. But it is the same thing, what is told in one language and other yes, language. Yes. I don't think Sanskrit uh, can be removed from the sure. life of Tamil. So I want to thank you uh, for this conversation. Uh, and uh, the, what I want to tell the viewers is that after our Swadeshi Indology Conference number two is done, which is in February, where many of these things will be presented along with lots of other things. Uh, we will have a future conference on Tamil Nadu, uh, yeah. where we will bring all these things out, discuss Tamil Nadu, the reimagining Tamil Nadu, rediscovering Tamil Nadu, taking back Tamil Nadu, whatever you want to think about it, because we think we've lost too much ground here and it's time to take it that's back. Right. So that's, we need your right. help and we that's are right. so very grateful to you for all that you have Th done. Thank you. Tamil has a lot to give. And I show also many of these works which are not, you know, uh, many of the Sanskrit texts which were in India were lost and now they are found in Tibet and so on. We are again right. translating them to back. Right. Similarly, there are many texts which are not in Sanskrit available immediately, but they are available in translations in Tamil. So, we're getting so, so you have to reverse. So we need, and we have so much to give also to understand that. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you very and, much. And uh, namaskar to all of you.